in a world where... Nah, this ain't that kind of podcast. Let's be honest, the world doesn't need another podcast where we ask the same old questions to the same successful people. You're listening to the Profit and Impact Podcast with Nev Harris. Grab a seat at the table as Nev and his guests dig into the challenges that successful agencies and freelancers have overcome to achieve their success. There's no script, and Nev's insatiable curiosity and ADD can take the conversation anywhere. So let's get real and have some honest talk, lots of laughs, and some helpful insights into what it really takes to create more profit and impact in your business. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Profit and Impact. Today, I have a woman that needs no introduction. If you know WordPress, you know Kathy. Kathy is the maven of building communities in WordPress. Kathy, say hi. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, everybody. Thanks for asking me to be here. It's (laughs) no secret that I love to talk, and so it's a pleasure to be invited to talk as opposed to forcing people to listen when they don't necessarily want to. <laughs> Telling you a little bit about myself um, is, is hard to do in a nanosecond. I make it up as I go. Uh, today, I'm living in quarantine. I counted up. I think I'm on day 62, which means I'm baking bread. That's what I do today. <laughs> I've been I've been subsisting on peanut butter and jelly about twice a day and everybody oh, no. like you is posting these magnificent things they're cooking on like Instagram and Facebook and I'm sitting here like please <laughs> yeah well yeah there, there's comfort in making bread because there's something you're you're creating and, and it's um an act of production or it makes you feel like you're productive anyway <laughs> So uh, that is cool. Well, I wanted to bring Kathy in because she is uh, just, she's been in business for about 30 years. She's been through uh, recession after recession after recession, and she's still kicking and super successful and super happy and positive. So when when did you get started with this whole WordPress thing? I was introduced to WordPress in 2006. When I was a real estate broker, I had my own firm and I had been using the internet to drive my real estate business since the mid nineties. So, you know, long before there was a thing such as WordPress. So anyway, collectively a a group of uh, other broker friends and I stumbled upon WordPress and we were having our own little mini meetings at the time. And fell in love with, I'll use the word theme, but anyway, we fell in love with what grew to be Studio Press long before there was a Studio Press. And so that (laughs) was back in 2006. But I didn't get involved in the WordPress community until 2008. And that's when I attended my first WordCamp, which was in Birmingham, Alabama. And that 2008, in wow. one way, it sounds like a long, long time ago, and then it also sounds like day before yesterday. You know, until yeah. you start counting decades. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I find that crazy. For me, I look at it like, you know, there's the years before 2000 and the years after. Like, I can't believe there's been 20 years after 2000. I mean, it's two decades since the turn of the millennium, and it seems like a couple years ago, you know? I've lived a lot more years than you have. So to to think that... Oh, you're not a day over 29, Kathy. Absolutely, I'm not. No, make make it 39. <laughs> was was 29 a crazy period in your life? <laughs> I don't even remember being 29. <laughs> I would have to do the math. Um, that was pre-marriage. I got married the week before I turned 30. Ah. So so that's that's my dates. It's before I got married and after I got married. <laughs> you know, before I had a child and after I had a child. So the milestones are very different. (laughs) But yeah, I've been in WordPress uh, a long time, a long time, in and around. That's cool. That's cool. So when you first got started in WordPress 2008, recession, you know, that's kind of, it's kind of crazy to start a business. Some would say it's kind of crazy. If you've listened to some of these other episodes, you would see that there's a lot of opportunity. What made you decide this was the time? Uh, the real estate market crashed, and so that decision was made for me. <laughs> uh, because, well, not because. Anyway, that that was the deciding factor. But because I had been, I'm very familiar with the internet, and I was a a power user to build my business from the '90s forward. It was easy for me to pivot from real estate to building websites for my real estate buddies. That's how I got started. It was like, I cannot survive the market crash. I did not have the cash flow that would keep me afloat to carry all the foreclosures and stuff that were going and rental properties and that kind of stuff. So I just transitioned to, oh, okay, I've always been a techie. I guess this is what I'll do. And so I started calling myself a web designer and the only people I knew were real estate people. So that, those were my first client. And I just cool. kind of grew from there. It certainly wasn't, oh, I, I think I'll go build websites because that makes good money because it doesn't in the beginning. You know, it's just what do I know and where can I pivot to? That felt natural. I think that's a that's a great key point that you had there. That you said it it felt natural that you had this business, but then you had this other thing you'd been doing in the internet and websites mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and and using that. So you shifted towards that because it was something that you were just doing on a on, kind of not on the side, but kind of to grow your business. So, and I think that's you know a key point right now. I mean, the word pivot nowadays is like beaten to death, then trampled oh, on, and then pummeled again. <laughs> but you did you you pivoted in a way. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really so. And then so the the recession hits. You start getting. How did that all make you feel? Was it like oh, it's all roses? You know, parties every oh, day, geez. building websites. <laughs> there was such a period of financial devastation prior and during me making that transition without going deep into the nuances of my marriage uh, I was always financially independent of it's we were not 50 50 we were two whatevers anyway (laughs) even though I was married (laughs) I still had to generate an income to support myself it's where I'm going with that. 
So the fact that the market was crashing meant that my financial standing was crashing. And it was Rob Peter to pay Paul and being concerned about keeping the utilities on. And, you know, it it was damn hard uh, and a lot of sleepless nights, even as I was trying to make this transition to, oh, I have something I can sell. Well, yeah, but I didn't sell it for enough money because I didn't, I only knew my own experience, right? And it was awful. It was just awful. (laughs) So the real turning point for me came when I went to that first WordCamp in 2008, because I I still had one house on the market in 2008 and that closed and I really kind of closed the door on real estate. But by meeting my peers, the WordPress peers, it gave me Uh, confidence and an awareness that once again, I was not alone, you know, that you walk into that room and you go, oh, you people get me, you know, (laughs) you you speak my language. Um, Matt Mullenway was the keynote speaker of that event. And then I came to discover that other people from Atlanta were there, but I didn't know those people until that event. So it, it was tremendously hard in the beginning. One, letting go of what was a successful real estate career when you go from making, you know, a quarter of a million a year to 25,000 a year. That's a big jump, (laughs) a big jump, you know, and then the trials and tribulations of learning how to sell what it was I was trying to sell was difficult. You know, it's funny. I had a mortgage business and the same thing happened, you know, Uh with, with me. I didn't. Uh, transition as well as you did. I struggled for a while because one, because I was I was young and I'd uh, like been successful kind of a lot of my life, and you know I got to this point where pro- I had problems that, but but I always over overcame them, and then but I got to this point where I'm like 30, and I'm like mm-hmm. the real estate market crashed and everything. And I'm like, yeah, well, I you know, and and here's the word that'll kill you every single time. I deserve. I shouldn't have to. I deserve. And I said, you know what? Grew my mortgage company from a phone, uh, a computer and a desk. And that mm-hmm. was it, you know, up into this nationally licensed company. And, you know, and, and I thought I was entitled. I had the, the, the MBA, the good education and all this kind of stuff. And I grew a successful business and I wasn't willing to go back and do what needed to be done to start something again because I thought I was entitled to something better and had to really be humbled and by that experience. And I think like what you said there was the fact that you didn't give up. You know, you realize there was, there was hard times. And I think when, when, when hard times hit, you could, yeah, you have choices. You mm-hmm. can, you know, curl up in your bed, sleep for another hour because who doesn't want to do that when things right. suck? You know, or you could go out there and do the hard stuff and keep on pushing through the temporary pain to get to somewhere like you've gotten to, which is amazing again, you know. Even as we talk about those times, I can still, it's fresh enough. The the emotional trauma of that period is severe enough that it's like, oh God, I never want to go back to that. I can remember that, that anxiousness, you know, and, uh, and really not knowing where to turn. Yeah. I can remember being in a a women's Bible study and uh, I was, you know, sharing some of this. Right. Yeah. And, and everybody said, well, say a prayer for you. To which I responded in Kathy's inimitable way, 
<laughs> I appreciate your prayers, but I really need money. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, it was like, I, I, here's the hard bottom line. I need $30 today to pay for this thing. <laughs> Never want to go back to that. And yet here we are now at some sort of other pivot point. Yeah, so I think, uh, and there's two points to hit on there. Let's talk about um, community. Yeah. So you found community, you found word, you found the WordPress community. Now you are, I mean, your name is synonymous with two things. It's WordPress and it's community. I mean, you right. build communities, you foster communities, you help people. You're, uh, you know, on, I've said it, like, I'm just rambling on about what an amazing job you do. Like, I remember when I first met you, you were just, you know, um, a mutual friend of ours, April Weir. She was like, just talking about you like you were just you know this like amazing like this deity almost and uh and then when we met i was like what's that (laughs) she's not wrong (laughs) (laughs) love it (laughs) so and then when we met i was like okay well you know i'm like i've never done anything in in WordCamp. i you know, I've, I struggle with WordPress. We, we, I, my agency, somebody else's. And so I was like, yeah, I wonder uh, how this Kathy is going to be. And you were just like the sweetest, kindest, you know, funniest, nicest person. We had a blast, you Mm -hmm. know, that day at lunch. And it was like, you gave me some really good advice and everything like that. And, and so, so talk about community and how you build community in the importance of community and just conversations in general, because you're doing something really cool on that front. Um, to talk about community, I have to talk about who I am and and what I believe and things that are valuable to me. And, and it boils down to, in a nutshell, people are valuable to me. I believe uh, in you. I love it. You know? And when I'm talking to someone... And if it's if it's one on one, then I'm paying attention to what you're saying. I'm listening to you and I'm making eye contact. And I am if I'm driving the conversation, then I am going to guide it into a place of mutual vulnerability and intimacy just by paying attention to someone is so valuable it is so rewarding. There are so many people that I meet in the WordPress arena who are on the fringes or or they feel like they're on the fringes. They feel like they don't belong. And so when I spend time paying attention to them, they are validated. And out of that validation grows a community. Because if I am talking with you, and someone else walks up to, you know, join the conversation, then I take the time to say, Nev, have you met April? And then I'm paying attention to both of you. But my goal in that triad is for the two of you to come to know each other. Everybody wants to belong. Not everybody knows how to get there. And that's my job. It is my job to teach people how to look up from their phone, get comfortable with making eye contact and and sharing themselves. Because I'm paying attention and because I believe in you, I think it's important to remember your name. (laughs) So one of my skill sets is I remember everybody I've ever had a conversation with. I remember their name and I remember their story. So when they walk into my meetup, or somebody else's meetup, 
or they come to WordCamp Atlanta. I recognize them and I know them and I call them by name. Nice. And when I'm showing off in my meetup group, because a lot of people <laughs> don't believe it when I say that, my meetup, say, has 30, 35 people in it. And I start in the back right, right corner and I name every single person in the room. <laughs> Let me ask you a question then, because um, uh, I remember, I, I remember, I, I love conversations and I, I love remembering things about people. I have, like, I forget my own name half the time. Mm-hmm. Do, do you have any tricks for re- remembering people's names? Part of, part of the skill set is for years and years and years, um, I, I was one of the people on the fringes. You know, I, I went from being a talking person all the time where I had to wear a name tag in the first grade that says, Kathy talks too much. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that got squashed out of me. And then, and so I, I stopped talking. I never voiced an opinion. And, and so I was pretty much invisible. And people that I knew I had met before would come up and reintroduce themselves to me. And so out of that grew this, damn it, <laughs> if I have met you, I'm going to remember your name. And and I do just have a gift for that. I have a psychological explanation for it, which we don't need to go into, but it has to do with managing your whole, your whole world. And so anyway, to come back to your question about tips is when you're talking with somebody, use their name a couple of times. Yeah. And that helps cement it in your brain. Now, I'm showing off when I name those people in my meetup. But prior to me doing that, I have greeted everybody again when they came in to sit down. Okay. Um, and I've made a point of those that whose name I can't remember. I go up to them and say, you look very familiar. Have we met before? And that encourages them to tell me their name again. Um, and I'm also comfortable enough to say, oh, my God, I know we've met, but oh, your name is, you know. So anyway, I, I have refreshed my memory ahead of time. Um, the other thing that I'm pretty good at is it's easy when we wear our name tags up on our shoulders, which, by the way, you're supposed to put them on your right hand, your right shoulder. But everybody, because the majority are right handed. We all slap it over here. Yeah. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. It's easier to be read if you put it on your right shoulder. Because if you think about shaking hands with somebody, yeah. you're tilting and you can see their name tag without just staring at it. <laughs> it's harder at word camp because our lanyards are so long that our name tags are resting on our bellies. You know? yeah, who has a neck that fat? <laughs> I don't know. Why do the name liners have to be so long? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I tie a knot in the back of mine so it pulls up higher. So it yeah. makes it easier for people to know to know me. The other trick is walking up to people and reintroducing myself, which forces them to reintroduce themselves. You know, but it's but it really boils down to um, me knowing your story. I mean, if I just meet somebody casually. Uh, I'm not going to remember their names, but if we've had a connection somewhere, even if it was brief, then I remember their story and that helps cement the name in place. Okay. 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 I like it. I like it. That makes sense. You know, but you, you, uh, you you kind of trick people into telling you their name again. (laughs) 
<laughs> so yeah I'm, I'm i'm really good with faces just i mean like I, I forget a name like two seconds after somebody tells me yeah. so um and it's just i feel horrible about it but i just i just um i just i mean i should i forget my like uh like friend's name sometimes i'm like um uh <laughs> so but now let's let, let's let's take this a little bit into um uh say uh conversations so mm-hmm. You have, uh, so you have community and you're really big at being in community, but you're doing something cool around conversations. So uh, conversations matter. I think conversations matter. I like conversations. Tell us about that. It, it kind of hinges off what we're, we've been talking about. Yeah. But in terms of me doing a thing around conversation matters is I host small groups and I do that for businesses. I do that for um, social leaders. I do that for friends. Something like a dinner like, party? Huh? Like a dinner party or by small group? Well, it's hard to do a dinner party right now, but that's my favorite <laughs> thing to do. My two favorite things in the entire world is to eat and to talk. And I have said for years, I just want somebody to pay me to eat and talk. And I stumbled into that a couple of years ago, and a chef was putting together what he called Mastermind Dinners. Um, There's a book entitled Mastermind Dinners, so he kind of just stole that. But anyway, there would be a group, there were 10 of us who would come together, and he would serve these beautifully presented meals. And I would guide the conversation, and we talked about life, and we talked about business, but it was so much more intimate than uh, that's the, I was going to say it's more intimate than a mastermind, but that's not true. It was different. Um, most mastermind groups are very focused on how, what was your action plan? Did you get there? You know, what's your wins? What's your losses? Blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. Whereas th- these conversations are conducted based on the people in the room and where the flow of conversation takes us. And what sets it apart from a networking event where uh, you're seated at a round table with eight people that you probably don't know, and you're chatting, you know, two people across from each other or two people side by side, these events have one focused conversation. Everybody uh, participates in one thing. I kick it off with a question. Like what kind of question? What's, what's, Um, What's the question about? Sometimes they're they're just simple icebreakers, but they will also they're thought provoking. Um, for example, one of my favorite questions is, "If you had to leave your house today, and, are we allowed?" <laughs> well, yeah, back in the day. Um, what is leaving your house? I'm not yeah. familiar with this concept. <laughs> yeah, if your house is on fire. <laughs> <laughs> what three things would you take? And, you know, we're not talking children and pets and that kind of stuff, but what, what three things would, would you get? And, and so even as I raise that question, you're in your mind, you're considering that. And then we what, go what are your that. three things? Huh? What are your three things? My Jeep Wrangler. <laughs> I have uh, a Jeep, 94 Jeep Sahara that, um, feeds my soul and I would take this is cheating I would take my La Crusade 
cookware. So that's a, <laughs> that's a one thing <laughs> of which I probably have 150 pieces. Uh, I, I might pare that down, but but that's important. And I forgot what my third thing has historically been. Something has shifted because those two are still at the top. I think I don't, I don't know. I probably get jigsaw puzzles based on where I am today. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I don't know. But anyway, I've got a question like that leads people to be a little bit introspective and it's also a little bit vulnerable and and each person shares their response to that and then it's my role as a facilitator to encourage that everybody participate and it was interesting on one night at dinner we had started with one of those questions or, or that particular question and then during the course of dinner uh, someone was talking about writing a book and her backstory for why she wanted to write this particular book that led her to reveal that she had a box of treasures under her bed. So it caused me to go back and ask her, oh, but you didn't name that box as as one of your three items. And she said, that's because I'm just now thinking of it again. But it was <laughs> one, it was something that was truly of value to her. Now, do you think when people answer this question, do they answer it in a way normally that is it material or is it like sentimental things that they grab? It, it varies from person to person and it varies on their personality type. Okay. Um, and I've asked this question a lot and, and almost always there's some sort of emotional connection until we asked my son-in-law, we being my daughter and I who had had seen me do this many times. And the first thing he wanted to know was, where was he going? We said, <laughs> That's not important. You know, what three things would you get? So he's and, more practical. Oh, my gosh. His pillow <laughs> and a, a blanket. And I forgot what the third thing was. Hey, hey, my pillow is very important. And some of my friends know that I've actually brought a pillow on a vacation before. Oh, sure. <laughs> They and made it, fun of me to no end that I packed this big pillow and I had a suitcase and basically had a pillow in it. <laughs> I, I have roomed with somebody we both know many times and that pillow is packed in her stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's revealing. It's, um, and I think it's also revealing to the person who's answering the question because it's, it's like even when you ask me my top two things, I mean, my things, I don't know what my third one would be. So, and I don't even remember what my third one always has been. So something in my life has shifted in the time that I last asked this question to answering it today. I don't, I don't know. I would grab, uh, my dad gave me a watch. It was his watch. And then he gave, he gave it to me when I was like, um, like 18. Well, I started wearing it. Then all of a sudden it just ended up becoming my watch. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, and that, that means a lot to me. There's a painting and I don't know what my, that, uh, my dad had done. It's, I, it's probably not worth anything, but it just means a lot to me. And cause it's been in my house since I, I grew up. And then, um, I don't know, probably, I don't know what the third thing would be either, but yeah, I, I love questions like that. Cause I love the, you know, cause I think you do learn so much about people. And I think maybe one of the reasons you're pretty good at this stuff is because you had a background as a, um, a psychologist, right? Psych yeah, my degree is, a, I have a master's degree in social work, but I was a licensed therapist. Uh, yeah, therapist, yeah, okay. Uh -huh. And yeah. Uh, I can't call myself a psychologist because that's not my degree. 
<laughs> but but the only thing that differed was a psychologist went that school and I went to this school. <laughs> oh yeah, just, but the, yeah, I did family therapy for years. The whole thing with degrees, so silly sometimes. And I have degrees, but I just, I just, I just, I think you know, real world. But anyways, uh, another subject. But so and. I find that when about money and everything like that, that mind, business, money, life in general, like this is an exaggeration though, but 90% of life and everything in life is mindset. Right. You know, it's just so important. Like, and people think, you know, I want money, but no, it's just like, it's your, it's your mindset around money that will set, you know, how you handle it, how much you end up with, and, you know, even how you're able to price the, um, your products. Do you have any thoughts of 30 years of business around mindset and money and business? Oh, gosh, yeah. Because I, <laughs> I fall into that camp of I never know where my money is or how. Well, I know that I don't have it because I'm, I'm one of those people who spends whatever she makes. Um, mm-hmm. but, but I also kind of know enough about myself and my own set points around money. My mother is, or was, she was born in 1929 and she was the youngest, one of the younger child, children and like nine or 10 kids, however many they had. But anyway, all of that to say, she was extremely tight. Frugal is not the word. She was cheap. Cheek, 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 cheek. It's that depression generation, um, yeah. And so I made a conscious decision to never be like that, you know. But by the same token, there was an awful lot of stuff that, that goes into the mix of, of worth, not just financial worth, but mm-hmm. self-worth. Yes. You know. Yes. Um, I, I believe wholeheartedly that everybody else in the world should make as much money as they want to make. But there's something in myself, for example, that I'm content with enough. Today, I'm content with enough. And my definition of enough has changed over the years. But when it comes to pricing my services or my products, it's I've learned to ask for more and get more, but I spend more. <laughs> so I, I, I maintain that set point, you know. I also know enough about myself and, and growth patterns that once somebody can enlighten me, part of it is, you know, just opening my mind to different concepts or speaking to me in, in a way I can understand, I can shift some of that mindset. One of my good buddies is a CPA. So numbers and, you know, accounting and all that stuff are just, that's in his wheelhouse. And I can remember, this was years ago, maybe six, seven, eight, what, however many years, a long time, right? That we were sitting around over lunch and the conversation went one direction and he made a, a suggestion and I left that meeting, went to Office Depot and bought one of those 13 column ledgers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that'll bore the hell out of you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think I filled out one page once and that was not too bad. <laughs> Maybe three years ago, I had it for a long time, and I still have it. But it was because I have this thing; my eyes glaze over when we start talking budgets. Oh yeah, it's it's, it's, and, it's you know, especially it's just, as an accountant. <laughs> I, and, and, and I know they glaze over, and and so not only do I need a skill set for better understanding, which you're phenomenal at, and and balancing that out somehow. 
set points are a thing of comfort, whether it's a financial set point or weight or any other thing in my life I'm trying to change. Now, by set point, is that something you don't want to drop below or go above? Is it like a minimum floor or ceiling? Is that what you mean by set point? Yeah, if I'm wanting, to, if it's weight, I want it to go lower. If it's money, I want that set point yeah. to go higher. <laughs> yeah, weight in your golf store, you want lower. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah, so it depends on what we're talking about. But there's a lot written about set points, uh, which is even deeper than a mindset. The mindset is those conversations that I have between my own ears, that self-talk, yeah. you know, and, and self-worth plays into that a lot. Yeah, I, th- I think we need to value our services and value what we're offering our clients more than what we do normally. I think we devalue ourselves because we're scared to lose the deal. We're, we're afraid of competition. We're afraid we won't be able to pay our bills. We're afraid to even talk about it with a client and uh, because we've been talked, told our whole life, never talk about money, you know, right. don't it's ask people polite. about money. Yeah. yeah. So now we're, for, now we're in business and we're forced to talk about money constantly. Of course, we're going to shy away from it because we've been beat to death with our whole life with this don't talk about money kind of talk. So and it's just and that's what our brain tells us every time. I, oh, we got to talk about price. You can't talk about money. No. Right. So, right. <laughs> And, and you used, when you were going through your sentences, but because we're afraid of this, and afraid, I mean, letting ourselves be ruled by fear. Mm-hmm. And you have to unpack what that's all about before you can move forward. And it varies, you know. It's I've done a, mastermind, a particular mastermind group since 2011. And one of the people in that group, you know, I mean, it comes up, recurring things come up all the time. And it was like, what do you suggest for this and what do you suggest for that? And we, as a group, make the same suggestions all the time. But the response invariably on one theme or another is, I can't do that because I might lose clients. Mm-hmm. I said that, you know, when I had my mortgage company, one of the things we did was every year we looked at the bottom, we laid out our clients, we looked at the bottom 10% and the top 10% of our, well, actually it was our referral sources that came in. And we didn't take any business any longer from the bottom 10%. And we gave, uh, so we we became 10% less profitable or, you know, 10% less revenue. But we gave that time and energy and focus into the top 10%. And we always made more money off that because we were just refining, like, the people that were important, like, that were making us the most, that were most important to us Mm -hmm. and giving them the time and attention and getting rid of the distractions. Well, that bottom 10% also eats up 80% of your energy. Yeah. Because they're not good clients, whatever good client might mean to you. And uh, and I can't say I'm foolproof at it because just last year, well, no, it was not last year. It was two, no, it was, it was, it was 2019. Does it really matter what year it was? Nev? No, it does not. No. So, <laughs> what what but, day is it today? <laughs> <laughs> in the recent past right. um, <laughs> with my agency um i had some nightmare clients and i had some really good clients and i did the exact opposite mm-hmm. I, I i killed myself because i couldn't lose a client i couldn't do this i couldn't have somebody not be happy but you know and what i ended up doing is 
pissing off my best clients to yes. try to make people happy that already had shown me that they were difficult people that were never, they were just, they were the wrong people and they right. needed to leave so that I could take care. And, and so it was, it was a big like, Hey Nev, you know, this stuff, you know, better, you know, but you know, it, I still had that problem. So. Well, yeah, it, especially if we come from that mindset of wanting to be helpful and mm-hmm. help people solve their problems, it's easy to fall into that trap of nurturing them or attempting to take care of them. Um, and it's also, as I grow as an individual, I'm not the same woman I was last year. And so the clients that I brought into my firm six years ago met the needs of that woman. That's that's not who I am today. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's one of the many seminars I did somewhere along the way about, you know, learning how to change your pricing to, I don't bill by the hour, for example. I don't, I don't bill for time. Um, I bill based on value. But before I learned how to do that, I was attracting and I was attracting clients that were no longer productive. So anyway, but anyway, I was saying that I attended a seminar and one of the comments was once a year, sit down and look at the bottom 25% of your clientele and raise your prices. Yeah. Yeah. Cause then you're doing, cause yeah. yeah cause the math less, shows you if I, you know, if I get one of lo- one low paying and I'm charging somebody twice what I used to charge, I'm netting out more. <laughs> What I found was, um, you know, we would do like somebody would come to me and, you know, uh, because of how we got started in the agency game, I had a uh, like a direct mail magazine. So we had the designers and everything like that. And we were only busy four times a year for it was like um, maybe a month and a half, two months during those four times. And so but we had this dead time. So I would say, you know, oh, yeah, sure. Somebody wants a website design dirt cheap. We would do one for 500 bucks because we said, what the hell? It's five hundred dollars, you know. But the thing was like that it takes just as much time, energy and focus to take care of a client at five hundred dollars than it uh, as it does at five thousand dollars, because you're going to do the same amount of work, basically, because and I would even say that person that wants it really super cheap like that is going to be more of a hassle and more of a pain in the neck just because they're very inexperienced, probably at getting a website done. So they don't understand everything that is required from it, Mm -hmm. you know, so. Yeah, I mean, I think the more you, the more clients spends, a lot of times the easier they are to deal with. It's 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 crazy. It's yeah. I've part of the reasons I would grab all my La Crusade cookware is not only does it bring me joy in cooking, it costs a fortune. <laughs> I mean, I don't pay full retail for it because I I'm a prudent shopper, but that stuff's expensive. Hell yeah, it's expensive. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and and so because it's expensive, I take care of it and I nurture it. And I respect my like-minded peers in that community who, who have taught me how to find bargains. Same thing when it comes to my, I mean, I do have a, a, a website development design firm. I just project manage everything and outsource the, the building part of it. But I'm the one who does the pricing. Yeah, you know? and you're the one that has um, relationships, it, and you're the one adding the value above and beyond what's uh, it's getting to be. Well, in, in order to to raise the pricing, I have to drive the conversation with the prospective client mm-hmm. and find out are they just looking for you know the cheapest set of tires, or are they using this as a business strategy? 
Yeah, I think if you want to be a better uh, WordPress designer or WordPress developer, get better at having conversations and not better at doing WordPress and developing or designing. Get better at, you know, talking to people, networking with people and having sales conversations around money with people. That'll be your biggest step up because if you're doing if you're 25 percent better at designing a website because we've all been there and we've all went in one group one guy was sharing the story that he was frustrated that his that his competitors that can't even hold a candle to him are getting business from him and even at higher prices and you know it's just like it's not because your skill it's because of the conversations that your cl- your competition's having with your clients the positioning Absolutely. it's the conversation so it co- it comes back to earning respect and trust and yeah. i don't work with people who don't trust me yeah oh yeah that's what i said it's like and, and i tell them that you know <laughs> it, you're going to have to trust me can you do that and if you can't we're not the right fit. My initial conversation with a prospective client is absolutely nothing related to what they want a website to look like, but that's where they always start and not to blame them. Where else are they going to start? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, they, they don't have the language to just describe it in, in any other way. And I was reading a Facebook feed last night uh, that got a little bit into client bashing. You know, mm-hmm. and we all have war stories, but I, it's, I'm the professional, I'm the grown up, <laughs> I'm the one who needs to peel back onion and say, you know, when, when you talk about, okay, you've shown me this site that you like, what is it about this site? And if we do that, what's that going to do for your business? Why is this important? And, and peeling it back layer by layer. Uh, and, and if they're not able or willing to do that, then they're not, not the right client for my business. Exactly. They might be for somebody else's, but not me. I don't think they're the right client for anybody's business. I just think like there, but I just think there are people that will take that client because they're not. I think we've all been there. I mean, shit, I was there for a while. Because I think, and, and I think you had a really great point. It's like clients, uh, they don't know anything better to ask. So they ask Two things that, you know, they ask price because it's the only thing they know to ask. And they right. and then they tell you, you know, what they want their website to look like because they want to talk website because they don't know how to talk anything. It's like you're baking bread. I don't know how to cook. And I'm like, but I know better than just to say, oh, you're, you all, all you're doing is sowing some flour, some water, some yeast and putting it in the oven. I can make bread. It's just this simple. Here's how you make bread. And you're like, mm, yeah, try that, Nev, and see how bad good your bread tastes, you know? So and that's, what, that's what people think. With that, it only requires four ingredients. Yeah, but it's how you use that. So it's like it's like you're only using WordPress, right. but yeah, it's what you're able to do with that WordPress to get the result that you want. They just don't understand that about you know. So if you're selling WordPress, you're barking up the wrong tree. You need to be selling you know your expertise and your ability to get to what they really want. Like I, I have a saying: design is not a discussion. Correct. I am an expert. I'm going to tell you how your website should look and because I'm going to help you get to your goal. Your goals are what we're going to discuss. Mm-hmm. The design on how we're going to get there is not up for, you know, but if, and if you want to be a micromanager about that kind of stuff, you know, we're not the outfit for you because you're, um, you're obviously not valuing what I bring to the table. So you're right. not going to want to pay what, what I need to be paid. 
Right. So. Right. Absolutely. You know, and, and it's my responsibility to say all that up front. As one consultant I've heard describe it as the first conversation should be trying to talk that person out of hiring me. You know, why do you want to do it today? Why me? Why not wait six months? Why didn't you do it six months later? But those are all discovery questions as opposed mm-hmm. to being uh, the, the server at the restaurant that says, just taking your order, you know. It's easier to take the orders, but then you're taking orders throughout the relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, and, and, and then there's no yeah, I, value. In I've it. been there, done that, ain't doing it anymore. Yeah. Well, Kath, I, I, I just, I, I love this conversation. I think we, we, we had some really great points. It's always a fun time to talk to you, and especially um, I hope our audience got enjoyed it and got some value out of this as much as I did. So um, how would they get a hold of Kath? Where would they uh, find the esteemed Kathy Druin? I'm going to have to spell it because <laughs> <laughs> on social media, I am K Druin. Everywhere. Um, okay. K is obvious. Druin is D R E W I E N. The name Drew, I, and then E N. That's right. It's I before E. I before E. It's pronounced yeah, Drew in as opposed to Drew out. So it's Druin, but it's got too many vowels. Oh. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I before E, except what it sounds like C or an accept this, yeah. except that. I was and... married 20 years before I quit spelling it in my head. Yeah. <laughs> but but you can find me on Twitter at, at K Druin. My newest website is conversationmatters.com. And, and my website stuff is atlantawpcoach.com. Cool. Is the things you do, is it only um, Atlanta based or can um, anybody get a conversation that matters with? Anybody you? can. <laughs> anybody. Oh, that, I was going to say, I don't, I don't think I gave the full URL for that. Doesn't matter. But it's conversationmatters.club. Oh, dot club? Yeah, and I may have said dot com because I still forget myself. But anyway, right now I book them by appointment and I have a drop in on every Monday at three o'clock. And that's free, the drop in. I'm sorry? And then the, the drop in's free. Anybody could just, yes. the first eight that sign up for it get to come yep. hang out. Yeah, they do. And, and that's, that's growing to, you know, the Monday group is, is growing with a consistent set of participants. Cool. All right. Well, fantastic, Kathy. So much for inviting me to be here. Well, thank you for coming on. (laughs) Uh, I love to talk and I don't get much of that action these days. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Take care, guys. And we'll be back with another episode of Profit and Impact next week. That was the Profit and Impact podcast with Nev Harris. For a full recap of this show, or for more info on making more profit and impact with your agency or freelance business, visit nevharris.com. If you liked this episode, show us some love. Give us a rating and comment over on iTunes and help Nev get the message out to more agency owners and freelancers. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.